want you to know that our God is, is completely sovereign, and uh, this is divine time. This is appointed by God for you to be here in this moment, for me to be here in this moment. And uh, we're going to, over the next, uh, not real long, the next 25, 30 minutes tops, uh, kind of comb over this passage. And uh, I'll be relatively brief because um, I just don't believe at this point in my life in giving long sermons because I grew up in church and I've heard a lot of them. And somewhere I just got like 40 amens under their breath <laughs> throughout the room. So if you're reading along with me, we're in Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 35. should be a relatively familiar passage to, to many of you. And, uh, and if it's not, it's a great story. So here we go. Um, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, disciples, he being Jesus, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There, was also, there were also other boats with him, and a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. And Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up and rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Let's pray real quick. Lord, I just thank you that you are continually at work. Uh, And Lord, our being here is ultimately about you. And our reading of the scripture is ultimately about you from Genesis to Revelation. Lord, it it all points to you and your plan to redeem this creation. Uh, It all points to you, Lord. And so we right now yield everything, our agenda, um, our our plans, whatever it might be, God, we yield it to you. Uh, Lord, I yield everything I have prepared to you, God. Uh, Lord, we just surrender to that so that you could could speak, Lord, that this wouldn't be uh, wasted time, this wouldn't be play church time, God, but this would be your church time. These are your people. This is your church. Uh, This world is ultimately yours, and so we surrender to your will, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we find here a story uh, that is both uh, literal and metaphoric, or physical and spiritual. Uh, We as humans occupy a totally unique place in all of creation, and that is that we bear the Imago Dei, the image of God. Unlike any other creation, we bear his image. And because of this, without delving into volumes of theology, uh, because of this, everything we do in life Every decision we make, the thoughts, the thoughts we have, <laughs> they have spiritual implications. Uh, I, think, I think Jake just won a hand of poker back there. <laughs> I'm just kidding, buddy. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Jake, I'm sorry. See, I hate that because Jake's such a nice kid. I wish it was somebody that deserved that sitting back there. I'm sorry, buddy. <laughs> but we occupy a, a totally unique place in all of history. Uh, and, uh, and so everything we do in life has spiritual implications. And even in this story, while the point of it is the overriding theme is pretty obvious, the disciples get in trouble and Jesus saves the day, uh, trust Jesus, that's, you know, that's pretty, uh, pretty obvious. Um, I'm hoping over the next 20 minutes or so, 25 minutes, that we can just delve a little deeper, uh, specifically into the dialogue that happens amidst this moment of, uh, of strife and stress, um, and particularly... Uh, it's kind of interesting that there's, in just a matter of a couple paragraphs, 
they're exchanging this dialogue, but it's almost exclusively in the form of a question. <laughs> uh, so there's, there's kind of three primary questions that are asked, and so I just want to kind of delve into the implications of, uh, of each of those. Um, but before I do, we have some really special guests. I see Adam back there and Mandy. It is so good to see you guys. We love you. Be sure and say hi to them uh, if, you, uh, if you get a moment. It's so good to have you guys here. They are, uh, of course, uh, in town for uh, Pastor Gene's memorial. And uh, I was talking to, uh, to John Hansler earlier today, and I had this thought. Um, I thought, no wonder heaven's such a great place because God keeps stacking the deck. You know what I mean? And I just thought, no wonder it's so, so wonderful. So John is, uh, Gene rather has uh, been promoted, and I'm a little bit envious, but uh, someday it'll be, it'll be all of our turns. So uh, anyway, it's good to see all of you guys and, and to have you here. Um, okay, moving on. My, uh, my role as, as associate pastor at this church, I have a job description. It's a couple pages long. Probably many of you have a similar kind of thing in your job. And your job description essentially sets forth what your employer expects of you, right? It's, it's a list of expectations. Uh, at the end of the day, this is what I want to see, see you do. And so everyone's kind of has a clear understanding. That's kind of the function of a job description. And uh, in my particular case, it's a couple pages long, and there's many bullet points. And, uh, but, but biblically speaking, as a pastor, I have one job description. Uh, of course, in Ephesians chapter 4, we find this job description for, uh, for the equipping of the saints, or for the equipping of the church to do the works of ministry. Um, and every time I stand in front of you, I am continually cognizant uh, that at its core, at the foundational level, that is what I am charged by God to do. Um, and so you'll, you'll notice when you came here, if you dropped off your, your kids, if you checked them in upstairs, there was a stark absence of a Ferris wheel and pony rides. Um, and no one will be taking your latte orders today. Uh, and although those are in and of themselves perfectly okay things, now they're not the point of why we come together. And so I just want just to say to you just as a matter of knowing what to expect and where we're going today, uh, that the point of us being here is to take on in our personal lives the character of Christ and to take on externally the cause of Christ. And so my hope as we, as we talk over the next few minutes is that our love will increase and our faith will increase um, and that our boldness would intensify and just in general that our passion for the cause of Christ would be elevated in a new way uh, because that ultimately is the goal, uh, is the point of, of being here together. So here we go. We're in, uh, we're in Mark chapter 4. And we find Jesus here at the beginning of the story, if you, if you read the back story before, before they shove off. Jesus has been on the shore of Lake Galilee or the Sea of Galilee uh, teaching all day. And I, I didn't know this, but I, I was uh, just doing some research on this particular passage. And I found that... In his, in his case, for someone who speaks publicly uh, to give a speech of about 30 to 40 minutes, they exhaust, they produce and consume about the same amount of energy as they would in a normal eight-hour workday, as that same person would in a normal eight-hour workday. And probably many of you either speak in public for a living or have done that before. Um, and you can kind of sympathize with this. At this point in the day, Jesus would have been pretty exhausted, um, you know, especially given the amount of, of uh, urgency and fervor that he would have had as he's, as he's speaking to the people. Uh, he would have been exhausted at this point. So he's, 
the, the crowd has gotten so large that he's actually on the boat, pushed back away from the shore, just to kind of make some space, kind of creating a natural kind of amphitheater, uh, but also creating kind of a natural amplifier. Uh, an example I thought of of this, when I was a kid, my, my family, we had some friends who had a lake house, and uh, we would sit out on the dock at night, and we could hear almost every night, all summer long, whenever we were there anyway, uh, there was a couple on the other side of the lake arguing every single time. <laughs> I mean, and it wasn't a small lake. I mean, it was probably at least a mile across the, you know, to the other side. And, uh, but, you know, the sound just traveled right over the top of the water like that. And so um, that's kind of why Jesus would have backed up like, like this. But he says to his disciples at the end of the day, after, after teaching, um, teaching the people, he says, let's go over to the other side. And then he did what any of us would have done in his position. He laid down and went to sleep. Because, at least for my family, um, other than me, if we're going anywhere that's more than 20 minutes away, everyone will be asleep. Uh, and it's usually not like, you know, it's usually mouth wide open and head cocked back. And, except my wife, she looks like a, an angel whenever she's sleeping. But, <laughs> but, but the kids are drooling. <laughs> so he did what any of us would have done. And uh, I have a couple of illustrations here just to, just to kind of give you a visual for this. If you want to put the picture of the boat up there, Jake. Um, this is a recreation of a first century fishing boat in this type of the world. Um, it's going to be, just to give you a scale, it's about 27 feet long, you know, so a reasonably good-sized boat. I mean, it's, not a, uh, it's no, no little rowboat by any means, um, but, uh, but it's a reasonably good-sized boat, and the Sea of Galilee uh, is not actually particularly large. It's, it's referred to as the sea because it is large for that part of the world, but compared to the lakes we have here in North America, it's actually quite small. Uh, I have a satellite image there. Uh, it is, at the widest point right there, about 8 miles wide and about 13 miles long. So it's, uh, it's not a particularly large lake, but for this part of the world, uh, it is. And so they would have been traveling to the other side. Shouldn't have taken really all that long. You know, if they're crossing at the widest point at 8 miles, and I would think, you know, at a brisk walk, you could probably cover that distance in 2 or 3 hours, something like that. Or if you're Steve, you could do it in 20 minutes. But, but, but apparently walking on water was a big deal with this crowd. So, um, But they, uh, oh, thank you for chuckling at that, huh? So it shouldn't have taken too long. This would have been a, a common trek that they would have made on a regular basis. It shouldn't have been too long. But there's something really unique about this terrain. You can kind of see in the satellite image how, uh, it's not, uh, how it, the ground's not level around it. You know, we... Um, we have areas a little bit like this in the States. The, the surface of the Sea of Galilee is actually 686 feet below sea level. Uh, and in North America, we have areas that are well below sea level like that, but they're not typically in a mountainous region like that. They're usually kind of a flat marshland, something, something like that. But in this case, uh, if you want to flip over to the next picture there, there are several mountains right there. Uh, this particular mountain, Mount Hermon, is 9,232 feet in elevation. Uh, it's within 30 miles of the Sea of Galilee. Um, it's quite close by, and I don't normally associate this with the Middle East, uh, but there's actually a ski resort on top of Mount Hermon. Who knew, right? We think of it as, or at least I think of it as, like sand and rocks and camels, and that's about it, but, but, uh, but they ski there. Who knew? So you, what you have is at 9,232 feet, 9,232 feet at the peak, uh, 686 feet below sea level at the surface. You have about 10,000 feet of elevation change in a really close proximity. Uh, so you have really polarizing climates right near each other. 
And because you have, of course, extreme cold air mass and extreme warm air mass down in the valley so close, these kinds of storms would be pretty normal. Uh, but this particular one would have been particularly vicious because the word here for squall is, the Greek word is sometimes translated uh, as hurricane. So apparently it was a re- relatively uh, big storm, but it would have been, wouldn't have been unusual for the disciples to get caught in a storm on this lake. Uh, and what that really means to us is that when we see their level of fear, uh, we know this was a big storm. Uh, because they would have not only have been used to these types of storms coming up, but they're also expert fishermen. Several of them have been doing this for a lifetime. Uh, and uh, it's kind of a good rule of thumb that when the expert starts to panic, that's a good time to commence panic. You know, you know what I mean? If, if I, I'm not much of a sailor. Um, I took the ferry to Whidbey Island once. That's about, that's about the full extent of it. I don't know if that really classifies me as any kind of a sailor. But, uh, but so I'm not really familiar with the sea, and, and to be honest, I, I don't like it. I'm, it's not, I wouldn't say it's a phobia, but I have no ambition to ever spend any time on the ocean. Um, but, you know, I'm thinking if I'm riding along in the boat, and the sailors are calm, and they're feeling good about everything, I'm calm. I feel good about everything. But if they're screaming like school children, you know I'm screaming like a school child, right? That's... That's kind of our indicator that this is a pretty severe storm, just, just their response. And as their boat begins to fill with water, they're in a panic at this point, and they wake, they're waking Jesus up. And, uh, and their, their question to Jesus as they wake him up uh, reveals several things to us. This is what it says in verse 38. As they go to wake Jesus up, they said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? They're asking, doesn't our plight even matter to you? They're not sure at this point that Jesus is the least bit concerned with them, um, with their well-being. And their approach to him reveals several things about what's going on in their heart and several things about their understanding. Uh, First is they refer to him as teacher. At this point, they're still calling Jesus teacher. If you read on through the book of Mark later, they'll they'll call him Lord. uh, They'll call him Messiah. They'll call him Savior. They'll call him many things. But at this point, they're still calling him teacher. And what it reveals to us is that they don't yet realize who Jesus is. Uh, they may have had some dialogue about it and have some cognitive idea, uh, but they're not convinced at this point. Uh, because in a moment of panic, the truth comes out. You know, I think that's, uh, unfortunately, we probably all experience that in our own lives. Uh, but at this point, their actions in crisis reveal what's truly in their heart, what their true understanding is. Uh, and they don't yet realize that Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God, uh, that he is, in fact, the Messiah. They haven't quite arrived at full knowledge of that. Uh, the second thing, uh, kind of on the periphery around this question, they, they fail to realize that Jesus was up to something much bigger than just standing on the shore and preaching to these people and then going down in a shipwreck. <laughs> uh, that Jesus had bigger plans. You know, You can imagine the headlines the next day, Son of God lost at sea, right? Now God's got to come up with a plan B. If they had known what Jesus was ultimately up to, you know, their perspective would have changed. I'm sure the storm still would have, still would have been scary, but, uh, but their perspective certainly would have been different. Uh, the panic level probably would not have, been, uh, not have been quite the same. Jesus had said to them earlier, let's go over to the other side. Uh, and if they had had a full understanding of where what Jesus would ultimately mean to the world and to mankind, 
uh, they probably would have realized that they were, in fact, going to the other side. Uh, and thirdly, uh, amongst probably many other things, uh, by asking Jesus, don't you care, they demonstrated their ignorance about the love of Christ. Uh, they obviously were not fully understanding the depth to which Jesus cared about them. They obviously hadn't fully put their mind around the fact that God so loved the world that he was to give his only son. Uh, that hadn't sunk in just yet. Uh, and so you know, this, this question reveals a lot about what truly was in, in the disciples' heart. Um, just as a side note, following Christ often leads us into troubled waters. Um, yeah, that seems to be kind of standard procedure. Um, but if for whatever reason, it seems to be God's chosen mechanism for making us into who we, we uh, will become, who he would have us be. And I'm just theorizing here, but I have to think that part of that reason might be the simple fact that God has no concern for the path of least resistance. Uh, what's too difficult for God? You know, what does God look at and say, man, that's going to be tough? You know, nothing. Uh, the path of least resistance is, is not, it's not a factor. It's not an entity. It's not an issue for God. And it's his, it's his chosen mechanism. And, and we know that, that he chooses this way because Matthew chapter 7, verse 14, tells us that the gate that leads to life is a small one. And the road that leads to life is a narrow one. That we should anticipate difficulty. We should anticipate uh, trials along the road. Uh, so following Jesus is going to land us in troubled waters in the same way. Uh, it's interesting that earlier in the Old Testament we see Jonah get caught in the storm as a matter of disobedience. And here we see the disciples get caught in the storm as a matter of obedience. Uh, it's just kind of a, an interesting contrast there. We should expect that. But uh, the question number one reveals that the disciples were in a panic because they just didn't understand Jesus at this point. They didn't understand his love. They didn't understand his agenda. They didn't understand his nature. Uh, much like us, they were on a journey. They were you know, walking it out and learning day by day, growing closer to him. Uh, but at this point, at the beginning, as the storm comes up, the beginning of this passage, they just weren't there in their understanding. So in a, in a panic, they, uh, they wake Jesus up, and, uh, and of course he gets up. We don't know if he jumped up or you know, if he played with them and pretended to be really hard to wake up. or I don't know. Maybe he could already hear them even though he was sleeping. I, I don't know. I don't know. But, uh, but he, he responds with a question, actually two questions, but one response. He says, why are you so afraid? Where is your faith? Jesus had told them earlier, let's go to the other side. And he kind of, by the way he responds with a question, these particular questions, kind of is, is almost implying that uh, when I said we were going to the other side, like, what did you think I meant by that? You know, like he was, when he said we were going to the other side, he expected the disciples to expect that they were going to the other side. It almost kind of has the tone like, uh, like he was almost offended that, you know, what did you think I meant when I said we were going to the other side? Uh, if you have kids, you totally know what that's like. Uh, yeah, we don't even need to go there. That's just a waste of time. <laughs> but, um, but anyway, he's, he's almost seems like he's like, I said we were going to the other side. We're going to the other side. And, uh, but the disciples, even though they heard him say that, they did exactly what we do under stress. Uh, they, at this point, had obviously demonstrated some level of confidence in Jesus. Uh, they demonstrated it by the fact that they're following him, uh, by the fact that he's in their homes and they're, um, they're 
boarding him in that way. They're, they're taking him across the sea. They've just spent all day ministering with him. They obviously have some level of confidence, but when their fear arose, their faith was overwhelmed by it. Just very much the same way as it can happen to us um, in a variety of different ways. Brandy and I had a college student stay with us last summer at our house in Spokane. Um, super sweet girl. Her name's Brittany. Years ago when we were youth pastors in Yakima, she was in our youth group. And, I mean, she is the prototypical kid. Straight-A student, really involved in drama, good at sports, you know, has a good job, just, you know, from a good family, super polite, responsible kid. I, I told Brandy several times, of all the kids that, that were ever part of that youth ministry, if one of them was going to live with us, she would be my first choice. Just a great girl. Uh, except for one thing. Brittany was terrified of spiders. And uh, we knew this because we would hear two sounds. We, uh, we, our house in Spokane is a ranch-style house, so we have like a main floor and we have a basement. And Brittany stayed in our extra bedroom downstairs in the basement. And uh, there would be two things that would happen. First would be the scream, right? The squeal like, like a seven-year-old getting mauled by a grizzly bear. And that was the part when she was like on the defensive, like the spider was attacking, right? But then she would follow it up with like ninja screams. That was when she was like coming back at the spider. And you'd hear like bam, 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 like the shoe hitting the floor 30 times. And uh, it would usually end with her like on top of a chair or something and me coming down to get the spider for her. Um, but here we had this intelligent, collected individual who, when she saw that spider, her fear just took control. It was, it was just, I mean, it was ridiculous, but it's a good snapshot of how we get inside when we have anxiety. Uh, you know, I may not let out the ninja call, um, but I feel like it on the inside sometimes. Uh, I have that same feeling. And it's interesting how under pressure, one of two things is going gonna, is gonna to elevate, is going to rise. Either our faith is going to go up or our fear is going to go up. And they're almost always mutually exclusive. You know, one will almost always expel the other. That might change from one minute to the next, but in any given moment, uh, one of those two is usually in control. Uh, there's rarely a, you know, a balance between the two. And it's interesting that Jesus asks about both. Why are you afraid? And where is your faith? And this question reveals to us that they, had, they didn't have the faith because their fear was in charge. Their faith had been overwhelmed by their fear. They had already demonstrated that they had some level of faith in Jesus, but in the moment of panic, in the moment of stress, it was completely overwhelmed by their fear. Much the way it happens to, to many of us. The third question, uh, immediately following that, after Jesus asks them, after Jesus calms the sea, I kind of picture it, uh, if you've ever seen like a big fountain or even like a fire hose or something, how when they, they turn it off instantly, you know, the water's just gushing and it just instantly comes down. Uh, you know, I can imagine the, the awe that would have been uh, on their faces. But they ask this question in verse 41, Who is this? Who is this that he has command over nature, over the wind and the waves? They, they obey him. And it says that they were, they were terrified. Uh, the, the word here for terrified is sometimes translated filled with awe. Uh, that they were, they were just completely shocked by what they just saw. Uh, with a word, quiet, be still, which is literally translated, keep your peace. 
with a word, Jesus calms the sea, and these guys are scared stupid by it. I mean, it's just, you know, so shocking to them. And they realize at this point, this Jesus guy is up to something, right? This Jesus guy is, is not a normal man. They see him uh, intervene in the course of nature. They realize his, his deity, that he has charge over the elements. And this, this third question reveals their new understanding, that Jesus is, in fact, who he said he is. And they realize his M.O., Jesus is beginning a pattern right here, of working through difficult circumstances to make us. Because the disciples' understanding in this brief passage, which is, which is seven verses, I don't know what the time frame is here, but I assume it's you know, a matter of probably a few seconds that this whole dialogue happens. Uh, they have gone from not knowing who Jesus is to going, God's in our boat, right? Um, their understanding has changed drastically, and Jesus has used the process of, stress of the storm, the difficulty to shape them and and in an instant uh, elevate their understanding and bring them to a new place. So I I appreciate this story so much, and I think we all can, because stressful situations happen, right? Life life happens, and pressure brings out the truth about what's in our hearts. And it's so cool for us to be able to, because of the dialogue here, see what was really in the disciples' hearts. You know, the story could have been written, you know, somehow in kind of a third person where we just get like a 30,000-foot snapshot of this, this happening. But we have the actual dialogue, which, which helps us gain understanding of what they were experiencing through this. And what I noticed, just kind of combing over that and thinking that through, uh, is that the disciples' hearts look a lot like mine. That, uh, you know, when I'm in a stressful situation, sometimes my faith is, is rocking. Sometimes... Sometimes my faith is winning, right? Uh, and other times it's not. Sometimes, sometimes fear is in charge. The disciples' experience and their attitude and their heart in that situation, uh, you know, looks a lot like the way we experience stress and difficulty. And it got me thinking just about uh, the cycle of difficulty in my life and you know, just observing it in, in the lives of people that I'm, I'm close to. Uh, and I, I realized that almost invariably we live in one of three places as it pertains to the storm. We're either in the storm right now uh, or, praise God, we're on the way out of the storm. And if we're not in one of those places, we're somewhere headed towards the storm uh, because they happen. Because they, they happen. That's just, that's just a reality. Live long enough and the storm will come. All of us are going to experience that. The important thing is for us knowing that the storms are going to happen, to have an expectation that through the storm, somehow God is working something good. That somehow God is in the process of redeeming what was hopeless and doomed through the storm. Because they are going to happen. All of us are going to experience it, whether it's in a relationship or finances or physically, some combination of the three. Probably all of us will experience all three at some point. Uh, the storm is going to happen, but what's my expectation? What do I feel like is going to come out of the storm? Uh, the idea that God is working something good out of the storm, isn't, isn't that the essence of the gospel? That God is redeeming all of creation to himself through his son? Uh, isn't that the explicit truth of Romans 8.28? 
that God works all things together for the good of those who love him. Uh, either God is, in fact, working something beautiful out of the trial, or he's a liar. One of those has to be true. Um, and I think the answer is apparent. Um, so how do I, how do I apply this, this story in my, in my own life? Um, don't go sailing, right? Okay. <laughs> Uh, I think from the perspective that we're looking at it, the important understanding for us to gain is that we get to make a choice about what we're going to be ruled by. We get to choose faith or fear. Uh, We may have to fight for that choice uh, because just simply choosing faith isn't going to make it rosy. We may have to fight for that faith. Uh, We may have to contend on the battlefield of the mind and the battlefield of the heart but we have the option to choose faith and if we don't by default we're choosing fear Uh, but what i've observed in my own life is that if i choose fear the outcome is going to be more fear Uh, it's just kind of you know it just it just grows but if i choose faith the outcome is more faith Uh, and James chapter 1, verse 3, tells us that uh, faith produces steadfastness, patience, endurance, the ability to weather the storm. Uh, by choosing faith, we're choosing to survive. Uh, does it ensure a perfect outcome? Does it ensure a pleasant outcome? No, it doesn't. But it ensures steadfastness. According to the scripture, it ensures that we're we're building the endurance by choosing faith to weather the storm, to move on. Um, you might, my heart really wants to um, let God do what he wants to do with, with this passage. Um, so I feel like I've just said enough. Um, so let's pray real quick, and we're going we're gonna to wrap up a few minutes early today. Lord, thank you for your word that you chose to communicate to us in an amazing way, Lord. 66 books by different authors throughout, over the course of thousands of years. God, all coherently and consistently proclaiming who you are. Lord, I thank you that you're good. You have good things in mind for us. Lord, and at the end of the day, this is all about you. God, it's, it's about you. It's about what you're doing in creation, Lord. It's about your perfect will, your perfect plan, God. And, and we want to be a part of that. Uh, we want to be moving in step with you, Lord. So, God, I pray you'd work on each heart, Lord, that uh, you would speak what you want to speak to each of us, Lord, about about the disciples' experience in the storm, God, and about our own experiences, Lord. Unlike me, you know the circumstances around every life here. You know the individual storms, God. God, I pray you be the Lord of each of those storms. We just uh, we just surrender that to you, Lord. So I pray you'd speak uh, in your still small voice, God, and that we would uh, we'd be changed by you, Lord. That we could take on your character and take on your cause. and represent you well.